Welcome to The Messy Path, a podcast where we navigate through the mess of personal, spiritual, and relationship growth. I'm Ariel, a rapid transformational therapist. And I'm Whitney, an intuitive relationship coach. Join us as we discuss the beauty in the mess of our lives. Hi, everybody. Uh, We are chatting about daddy issues today, or you could even say parental issues. Um, So we got a request in from a dear friend about um, some messiness she was experiencing a little while back and a phrase that she has heard recently, which is, we look for a bite that fits the wound. So basically you are looking for a self-fulfilling prophecy in your relationships around the wounds and the experiences you've had maybe romantically or with um, people who are close to you growing up. Um, Which I think really fits the adage, you know, you fix the the issues with your father in in your partner relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we have heard as women time and time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think today really just focusing on that masculine parental figure, right? Whatever role that that may fill in your life or however that looks, but focusing on that masculine dynamic that falls under, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the quote unquote daddy issues kinds of feelings. And sometimes it can come up with other individuals. Like my, all of my healing with my romantic relationships has been around my mother. So I think that like Mm -hmm. opening that up, depending on who you're attracted to, what kind of relationships you're having, you know, it might not just be dad, it could be mom, it could be other caregiver you experienced. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah. So do you want to kind of dive in with your experience and what you've learned? Do you want me to start? So issues with my dad has been one of the definitely major components of my personal growth journey. Um, It's something that I've worked really dedicatingly on. Um, And I think that uh, women in our generation, especially that this has been a major influencer in our lives. Um, I talked to many of my friends and clients who, you know, with the cycles of economic recessions and different, you know, um, you know, time periods that we've been going through as young 30 year olds um, in our young 30s age group, especially who maybe went away for college and then moved back home or were moving back home at some point, you know, after having left the house and and almost all of them wanted to leave their parental house because of conflicts with their father Mm. and all feeling like, oh, like, why is he like this? Why is this happening? Having fights with their fathers. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of things that can be stemmed from this, but what I have kind of gleamed as a kind of generalized kind of feature is that our mothers, the generation of our mothers is, is the 1970s feminist movement women where, where they are told, you can do everything, right? Which in essence meant they had to be full-time mothers and full-time employees, right? Mm -hmm. Full-time working force moms. And what that meant was maybe their house wasn't as cleaned on a regular basis. Maybe they weren't presenting things in 
in the Stepford wife kind of 50s way that mm-hmm. maybe their mothers were who were stay-at-home moms more traditionally, right? Mm-hmm. And how this was shifting. And so the women shifted a lot. They were working, they were raising their kids, they were managing the household, and the men didn't shift that much. Even if their, you know, support for the women shifted in voting or, you know, they could be supportive of that in the home with the children, there was, and this isn't true for everyone, but kind of a generalization, there wasn't that major shift with men where they became house house dads, right? (laughs) It was still really frowned upon. Yeah. Like if you look at like the seventies sitcoms, like Archie Bunker, like he was still just this like crotchety old man who like did his job and expected his wife to like do all the housework. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. And so I think then we were raised in the 90s with our moms who were working full time, raising us kids and doing all the housework. And our dads were doing maybe one of those things, mm-hmm. right? And still participating at kind of a more archaic level of involvement with the children and the family and especially the household t- chores. And I think that as we, those children, those feminist women children grew up, it's like, well, I don't understand why dad isn't also doing this. Like why, I'm sorry, I don't understand why you can't also take the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them away, right? Mm-hmm. Or where we're really seeing this disparity of, of task, household chores, and what, how that factors into the emotional labor, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the physical household chores, but how that really translates into the emotional labor that our mothers were left with, right? We're also fully responsible for. And the impact of not having what essentially became an unequal partner, right? What effect did that have? And I think that we had this kind of awakening of being like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) this isn't the kind of partner I want. Yeah. It became very frustrating. um, I think for many of us to feel this dissonance. Right. And, and to realize that like the, another major leap that happened between our parents' generation and us, like kind Mm -hmm. of Gen Z is part of that is right. We started going to therapy and like understanding our bullshit more and Mm -hmm. that directly, like when you start working on yourself, and this is something we're only just starting to talk about as a society now in like the last couple of years, you're working on yourself, but you're working on generational trauma, period, because there is so much that has been taught without consciously knowing it was being taught. Like I, in my parental dynamic, I learned that, and I think I'm not alone in this at all, because you were alluding to it, that women need to do more work. Mm-hmm. Women need to do the house stuff and do the emotional labor for their husband and do the child rearing. Right. And like the dad will come in and like take you to little league practice or like take you out on a boat ride, but like, he's not going to be there to like teach you the big life lessons. Like you go to mom for that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's very, I mean, my dad to- couldn't literally couldn't keep track of when we were supposed to be picked up for stuff, you know, not even actively participating in, in that when yeah. it, in times where he was uh, fully available, my dad was unemployed for 
uh, were not fully employed, I should say, for mm -hmm. quite a long time. And it would make sense that he would have stepped into more of those tasks, more of those kind of household and familiar management responsibilities. And it's like, you would get him on the phone and be like, can you just, can I just talk to mom? Because I'm going to tell you to pick me up at yeah, seven o'clock and, and I'm gonna, just going to be left out there standing without a cell phone yet, because yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what we were talking about. Yeah. And, but what impact that had. And I think that there was this big transition between, you know, as we're going through our spiritual growth processes, mm -hmm. when we need less of the the very, I don't want to say basic, the very like core fundamentals of this is how you do things. This is what God is. This is how yep. you connect, right? And as we expand in our lessons and spirituality more and more in that, I think those, you know, commandments that depict you respect your father, regardless of how he treats anyone, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. it is, that as we grow up, and I think as we become women in our own right, you start to see things as a, a person and not just a child. And yeah. as we open to that, there is this sense of like, well, there, you're not doing things that make me respect you. Mm -hmm. And I think you start questioning that in things as well. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways. Why would this be coming up? Right. But I think our fathers and their fathers, fathers and fathers, 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 mm -hmm. we're told you're just respected bar none. Yeah. And yeah. The more we become autonomous, the more we say, well, or you could act respectfully Correct. for us to respect you, you can and earn respect. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that part of our growing up process creates a lot of that dissonance and in a lot of different ways. And, but it doesn't mean you just don't have a relationship at all with your dad anymore. Right. Totally. Like you wake yeah. up and be like, Oh, you're kind of a shit person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, yeah. It's like, yeah. no, there, because, and this is the, the clincher because it actively affects the rest of the relationships in your life. Yeah. Like we're saying. Is, yeah. And this is where the second question came from mm -hmm. um, Morgan. I'll just, I'm naming you Morgan. Hi, Morgan. <laughs> we love you. Um, we, so she's talking about how, like, we always tell ourselves as we're growing up, I'll never be with somebody like my father. Like mm -hmm. I know in Morgan's scenario, her parents aren't together any longer, her biological parents. And so she's had this example of like, okay, I can leave a man who isn't good for me. And I don't want to be with somebody like that. And at the same time, she keeps ending up with individuals who have similarities to him because that similarity, albeit negative, is more comfortable than right. learning how to be with somebody who is the opposite of that or has mm -hmm. more positive characteristic characteristics than her dad did. And mm -hmm. so her like end all question is, how do you stop this cycle that's like so woven into like who we are because it's how we were raised and it's the only example we know in a lot of yeah. respects. So, and in a, a short answer, question. it's yeah. RTT sessions yeah. because it's all about it. Yeah. It's, and, and I'll talk about how that has helped me influence a lot of things, but RTT really helps you, rapid transformational therapy mm -hmm. helps make because exactly how you said it what 
that bad relationship, that unhealthy, unbalanced relationship still is familiar. It still mm-hmm. is what's most familiar. And so you kind of just keep ending back, up, back in that, like, yep. like a cozy couch. It's like, oh, but it's got some lumps in it, but it's already at my house, right? Exactly. And RTT really helps you reframe and bring in make, making that transition to make what's unfamiliar feel familiar. Yes. So you go through kind of the healing process, identifying where did this come from? Oh, it's issues with my dad. Yeah. No, duh. Yeah. But now let's actually do the healing work that moves you through that. And then the reframe and transformation to start making those healthy affirmations, those healthy feelings feel more familiar to you. And that's why it's done in the hypnotic stage, that deep emotional state and And how we're changing it there. And then it's taking that and understanding it's step-by-step in your Mm -hmm. life because you, well, RTT shifts and moves mountains. You then have to have the wherewithal and the, the parenting of yourself to say, I am not allowing myself to engage with a person like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's setting the integration. Yeah. It's right. setting really, really strict boundaries with yourself at first. So like, if you know that you attract men who are emotionally abusive, the second they do something to gaslight you or make you feel less than, or make you feel wrong, you leave. Mm-hmm. And it may seem really, really harsh. And it may seem really scary because you're like, oh, but there's so many good qualities in this person. Accepting them for their good qualities is only going to allow you to continue to, to perpetuate the same negative connection around emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. So you have to cut it off. You have to. And it doesn't mean that person can't come back. It doesn't mean they can't learn. You have no idea what the future story is, but you do need to draw the boundaries here and now for yourself that are the best for you. So that as you get stronger, you can go from just being like, nope, I'm not here for this to no, I'm not here for this. And here's why. And mm-hmm. actually having that discussion because it takes so much emotional energy to start to change these aspects about yourself and to reprogram yourself. So it really is picking the one or two things that pop up first. Like, oh, I always pick like smooth guys who like say the right thing. And I just like melt. And how can I like keep myself from melting knowing that like, they're probably going off to another girl after they talk to me and like saying the same shit and, you know, stringing multiple women along. How do I stop that? Well, if you feel like you're melting, have a mantra, have a thing, excuse yourself to go to the bathroom when you're on a date and be like, okay, wait, Yes, this sounds really good, but what actual proof do we have? Mm-hmm. Check yourself. What he's saying, yeah, mm-hmm. really check yourself. And then go back. And it really is like a science experiment of, okay, I checked myself. This still feels good. I'm going to go to the next phase. And um, sorry, I have to sneeze. I'm muting. Big old sneeze. So um, what you do is you take those baby steps and you say like, okay, I checked myself. Okay. I still ended up going home with him because like, he's a smooth operator. And like, I've got like a weakness for that. Instead of berating yourself about that and saying, I'm never going to get past this, acknowledge the fact that you were able to check yourself. And then the next time understand where the boundary needs to be. And it really Mm -hmm. is like baby steps of change. So this is definitely like that awakening or awareness that I had where I had 
um, I definitely, after another other, other huge, massive breakup in my life, was really able to see how those characteristics of those men um, related to my dad, Mm. the anger, the instability, the emotional detachment, um, the, how do I say, like less than my success, like less ambition Mm -hmm. than I had, but also they were all dropouts. Like they all stopped pursuing their dreams. So I dated like a slew of dropouts for a while. Like, and I was like, I don't care as long as you're pursuing something that's, that's fine for you. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, it doesn't matter to me if you have a degree in something or not, what are you doing? How is your approach? Right. But, but I kept completing everything that I was pursuing and they weren't. And that beat was not a dissonance for me, but it was within them, right? And then that would carry through, through all these things. And yeah. when I kind of realized, okay, wow, yep, this is just like my dad. This is just like my dad. This is just like my dad. Um, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to stop this. Mm. I'm ready to stop. And I didn't want to be in another, other, other relationship that mimicked this. Mm-hmm. And I stopped dating. I stopped dating and did the work on myself and with my dad to, to do it. Now, like you're saying, Whitney, you can also apply that within that relationship. And not everybody yeah. has the ability to, you know, have conversations with their father figure totally. to resolve it. And I'll tell you, it wasn't just the talks with my dad alone, you know, um, talks with my dad looked like screaming at each other, me crying, saying things like, um, we're the most similar in the family. I don't understand why you're so mean to me, you Mm -hmm. know, like, I just don't get it. And, and just, and him being like, but I love you since the moment you were born. And I'm like, you don't act like you love me. You don't show mom that you love her and that damages me. Right. Yeah. And a lot of that too, for me was about being like an open charted empath in my childhood. So every dissonance that my folks had, I felt viscerally in Mm. my body. And so my issues with my dad were so linked to the issues that my parents had with each other. Oh, because we become like little Mm -hmm. guinea pigs of what our parents are going through. And that I think is why it's really, really important. And it has been my commitment to myself that I need to get as much of my shit straight before Mm -hmm. I have children as I can. And then knowing when I have children, I need to have my own mechanism in my own lane for processing. So Mm -hmm. similarly to, to you and your dad, like my mom and I are very, very similar. And we ended up having very explosive fights because I have been healing literal multiple generations of alcoholic women trauma in my lifetime that she couldn't deal with, that her mom couldn't deal with, that her mom's mom couldn't deal with. So in doing all of that, like I had to redraw the lines for my relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these conversations aren't ones you actually have with your parent. They are conversations you have with yourself to learn how to heal and move on and move through because Mm -hmm. 
Another thing my mother did is my parents almost got divorced a couple of times when I was growing up. It never actually happened, but like my dad moved out for a bit. My mom like slept in the guest room. Like they didn't sleep together for most of my childhood. Um, and my mom brought me in as her best friend and confidant mm-hmm. for the shit yeah. that was going on with her yeah. and my dad. So I had this so like awful this story in, painted. Keeping this in the masculine focus right now, because mm-hmm. I think we'd definitely talk about the the mom side of things later too. Mm-hmm. How did that experience for you shape how you felt about your dad? That's where I was how, going with this. Yeah. And, in, and the, that yeah. the male relationship. So the interesting thing, and you know this about me, I'm right. more masculine than I'm feminine. And my mom's more masculine than, than she mm, is. Feminine. Okay. So my mom mm-hmm. is my dad figure. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, she pays mm-hmm. all the bills. She made the most money. She made the schedule for everybody. She was the one, the disciplinarian. My dad mm-hmm. was the pushover softy who would like take you out to get ice cream and like tell you that you're okay. And you're mm-hmm. loved. So okay. mm-hmm. that my family dynamic is very much reversed. Mm-hmm. So my dad Which is really one, important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it's that masculine energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my dad was the one that like, when they were fighting would come crying to us and like hug mm-hmm. us and say like, I love you. And I'm sorry, we're going through this. And I'm always your dad. And my mom wasn't there like that. Like she was emotionally detached from the whole situation. So that's really how my healing has been more based with my mother than it has my mm-hmm. father. Um, so how that showed up with me was I realized, well, first I had this whole painting in my head of my dad when I was like 10 to 15, that he was bad because mm-hmm. of what my mom had shared with me. So it was a very weird, like growing up because I like distanced myself from my dad because he was like the one that was wrecking their marriage. But in reality, he was protecting me from knowing the adult aspects of that relationship. Cause he was mm-hmm. like, you're 10, you don't need to know the bullshit that is going on between your parents. So for me, my healing came from understanding that I can trust men and basically unlearning everything my mom subconsciously taught me about relationships with men, that they have to be hard, that they aren't emotionally there the way you need them. Um, that like, it's really rare to find the kind of love that you actually can have that can keep you excited. Because she also told me that like, her relationship with my dad wasn't her ideal marriage relationship. So I was left there like sitting like, why would you marry someone who isn't your ideal marriage relationship? Mm -hmm. Like, what the fuck does that mean? And so that's, and that ended up being, I literally created a relationship bubble with my ex-fiance that made me process through all of that. He was an Mm -hmm. alcoholic. He wasn't emotionally available. He wasn't my ideal marriage person, but I was going to make it work because that's what you did. You found someone Mm -hmm. good enough and you made it work. And, Mm -hmm. and so all of this came up in that relationship for me where I had to heal what it is to actually be loved, what it is to allow yourself to be loved. Cause my mom has so many boundaries up like walls, not boundaries that don't allow her to actually feel the love that she is being given by the people in her life. So she says, I don't feel love from you. And so Mm -hmm. I learned that. And I even sometimes say that to Greg still, and he goes, okay, well, you need to stop because you're repeating a pattern that isn't true. So this stuff is really insidious. And it's about understanding what those triggers are, what those lessons that you were subconsciously taught from the masculine figure in your life were 
And then mm-hmm. how do you at least acknowledge them? You might not heal all of them. I still have a lot of this inside of me, but I know how to manage it. And I know how to keep working through it. Like it, it's why it's the messy path. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have a couple RTT sessions and go through a few years of therapy in Al-Anon and then like, okay, I'm fixed. Like I don't have codependent behaviors anymore. No, I mm-hmm. definitely do. I just know how to manage them now. Mm-hmm. So it really is like identify do the big breakthrough work you need to, whether that's RTT or another modality that really speaks to you and then sit with it and like, just slowly teach yourself that you are valued and you are loved and you deserve the kind of relationship you really want. And at first it is like pausing dating to love yourself, to Mm -hmm. be the soul, the mate to your own soul, like your higher voice said to you, Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, it really is like breaking it down to those tiny steps. Mm -hmm. I think that creating like for me, first of all, like having the pulling my power and energy back in as an empath was able to the more and more I continue to strengthen my understanding within myself has helped so much in being able to distinguish Mm. whose energy this is, right? because I was just absorbing so much of my parents' energy for such a long time. And for me, my subconscious work through RTT and things have helped so much because it has allowed me to release so much of the emotional impact and heal so much of that and, you know, and work through the tools and boundaries that then I'm creating and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember, so it really started with, for me, having really tough conversations, which let's call arguments really, you know, with my dad and, and sticking it through with him because I wanted to, to work on it. I Mm. wanted to, to have it be fixed. And it was like, and what I felt was our bad relationship is impeding me from moving forward in my life. So we have Mm. to fix this is what I felt like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would have hard conversations with him, have arguments with him where it was pointed towards healing, right. Where I was trying to understand where I was trying to break through, where I was trying to ask and work out why was he like this? What was he so angry about? Why does he treat me in the way that he does and mom and whatever? What is, what is his, and to show him the impact that that was actually having in my life. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just saying, you're terrible. I hate you. And that was the end. My real intention of those conversations was to get towards clarity, understanding, on both of our sides and transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And that got me so far. And where it really got me to is a place that said, okay, your relationship isn't my relationship. My relationship with my, you know, when my parents' relationship isn't my relationship, Mm -hmm. my relationship to my dad is my own and I'm choosing how I want that to be. Mm -hmm. And so I'm now going to shift my focus in, how that is, how I view him and how I approach that as a situation, right. As my relationship with him and so, so on. One question for you is when you say how you want your relationship for your dad or mm-hmm. with your dad to be, what does that mean for you? Like, were you drawing boundaries? Like these are the healthy ways for us to connect. 
What happens mm-hmm. if he refuses to connect with me that way? Like, what did that look like for you? Yep. So most of the time when I would talk to my dad, it was just be fighting or not talking. Mm. And I wanted to have, you know, better. I wanted to have actual conversations with him. I wanted to feel, you know, comfortable in his presence, which I didn't, I didn't even feel comfortable hugging him for many years. I tried to find a, I moved out of state and I gave a picture to everybody who was important to me with a little note on it. And I couldn't find an adult picture of me with my dad. And Mm. I realized like how disconnected we were. And at that time, I still didn't like, I cringed at the thought of like having a first dance with him at my Mm. wedding. Right. Like I literally cringed at that and was like, well, I won't do that. You know? And I was in a serious relationships or knowing that that was something I wanted to have in my future was to have a a wedding. Right. I owned a Mm. bridal shop for a number of years. This is topic on all women's minds I think yeah it is to an extent and I'm like oh like my body cringed at that thought and I at that time didn't want to do that I didn't want to get to that place where that felt good I just needed it to be more easeful than it was right now mm-hmm. and so I think at the start it was just being able to have a conversation where we weren't fighting with each other or have a conversation where I felt heard or have a conversation where we were, you know, working amicably together instead Mm -hmm. of huge fighting. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, I work really well with everybody else, but every time you and I are on a project together, it's terrible. And I said, this is what I want you to say. This is how I want you to, to talk to me. Mm -hmm. It's not productive having you talk to me in this way. I really, stood to my boundaries in that, but it wasn't even to the extent that our relationship is now, but Mm -hmm. it was what, you know, going, what's the, the, the most general sense. I just needed to feel more ease. Right. I wanted to feel more. I wanted to feel less discontent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It was, it was breaking it down from like Mm -hmm. the ideal relationship you'd have with your dad, like what's two steps better right now. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. let's just get through a conversation without yelling at each other. How do we write that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. When we have to like complete a task together or talk Mm -hmm. on the phone. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's where I think those kinds of like baby steps really came in. Yeah. And establishing my emotional space boundaries, right? And when I started doing the emotional space boundaries, a big part of that for me was speaking my truth to the extent it needed to be heard Mm. and letting it drop. Like not dealing with the rest of their response for my folks. And so Mm. let's say I would say, you know, no, I don't want to come over. I have these other things to do and I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I would just let that be my truth and say, yes, but I'm not going to do it. And then just stop. Right. Yeah. Or I would always bend over. I would always go back. I would always yeah. go to do whatever I was being called to. Okay. And I, in that just kind of let myself be yelled at, which was very different shift in my energy than engaging in it right I was letting it lay flat I was like okay I recognize that you're upset about this but I'm not going to be upset that you're upset about it 
yeah. I'm going to feel like this about it. Right. Yeah. And that was a big shift in how I started to interact and respond in things of just yeah. starting to acknowledge my truth and just stand in that and not allowing the rest of that engagement to kind of, you know, be influenced. Love that. Um, then when I went to RTT training, I was probably one of my biggest shifts that was unintentional. Um, we were doing a practice, you know, practicing going in and out of hypnosis and the different tools. And one of the session works was um, to regress to a happy scene. And the issues with my dad I, uh, were forefront still in my life. And, um, and I ended up going to a number of scenes that were joyful of me and my dad, where he was showing me, he loved me, interacting with me as mm -hmm. a small child. And I was like, wow, you know, you did play with me or you did do these things or we did have positive interactions, which yeah. from my, you know, teenage years on was seemingly non-existent. Mm. Um, but it really helped me tap back into the emotions of when we did have a positive relationship. Mm. And I could feel that love, that caring from him. And that also helped me really recognize at a deeper level the wounds that he was working through at the time of my life as well. Yeah. And I think as I got older, you know, as we were able to see our parents as people and mm -hmm. not just from that child parent perspective, yeah. you can say, wow, okay, it's clear that you were really struggling. You didn't really handle that well with the children. Yeah. But now this is what I can do to move forward from it. Right. Yeah. It's like, in RTT, Marissa Pierre will say, you know, we can't change the past. We can't change the scenes and events of the past, but we can change the beliefs and meaning mm -hmm. and we can change that emotional um, uh, attachment to them and shift it to, to say, oh, he was just really struggling. I don't have to be weighed down because of that. I can move forward into a place that's yes. better for me. And that in no way like absolves anybody in your past from abuse or mm -hmm. like trauma that they may have caused you. No, but what you right. can do is you can go to your younger self. Like, I think this is a really powerful place where if you're doing this work right now or interested in doing this work, like do what you feel called to, to do RTT and major shifts and then go into reflection with yourself, like meditate with yourself, go on a walk with your inner child, meditate with your inner child and just give it the love that you needed when you were in that space, feeling disconnected or feeling abused or experiencing yeah. abuse from that adult right. in your life. Because that is the thing that then you're going out with and connecting and with to mm -hmm. other relationships, because what your inner child always wants is approval and validation. Mm -hmm. And that's like the thesis, like the core of the thing that we're looking for with our dads is I want right. approval and love and validation from you that I am good. And so when you don't get that, or when it's sent to you in really messed up ways, you then look for that same messed up way. And that's where like the bite fits the wound in your future life. And mm -hmm. so by healing that and by validating yourself, you then no longer are seeking to resolve that issue with another person. Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. Like you will be 
tested. The universe will continue to give you these things because you have so much residual buildup of looking for this kind of partner or this kind of person to be with. Like right after I ended my engagement, I took myself on my own honeymoon to Ireland and I literally met the Irish version of my ex. Mm -hmm. He was gregarious. He was funny. He was like so great and fun to be around. And he was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And we had this like weird little tryst while I was over there and like still kept in contact afterwards. He's a great soul, but it was definitely my universal test of, did you really heal this wound? Did you really Mm -hmm. learn that you're worth more? Did you really learn that you don't have to fix a man? Like, because it right. the whole scenario was presented mm-hmm. to me again, and I very much could have fallen right into it. But I mm-hmm. had done enough self work to say, "This is not my circus anymore. I don't want to be mm-hmm. a part of this process for this man to fix himself and heal himself." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When I was with, when I started um, being involved with Brian, which was a very tumultuous situation, but the connection I had with Brian was so calm and connected. And one of the things that my mom said to me over and over and over again was you don't want to be with someone who's emotionally um, unavailable, emotionally Mm -hmm. unavailable. Mm -hmm. And I finally said, I mean, I said it time and again, but saying Brian is emotionally available to me. That is primarily what he is. He supports me. He does this, 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 this. It's your husband who isn't emotionally available. And it was such a mirror of her fearing that, that, you know, seeing my situations from her reality Mm. instead of being able to recognize in my truth that I was in a different situation because I was doing that work. I was doing those shifts and seeing, and, and also validating when it was showing up differently and where it was showing up, right. And where it was showing up still disconnected in other places and how I was navigating that. Um, How did that make you feel like I, in my own personal experience and like thinking of of folks listening who are processing through this mm -hmm. right now, did you feel a level of guilt like when you were realizing you were um, creating a relationship that was maybe more healthier with lessons learned than like what your mother was allowing. So that was definitely a huge aspect of what I was breaking through in my boundaries with my mother, who was Mm -hmm. my primary parent. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though my folks were together, she was the primary parent as I was kind of describing. And, um, and I was also, her emotional codependent sponge. And so I, I had, I had also put through RTT really realized that when my sister got sick at, as a child, I put an emotional cap on my life, a Mm. happiness cap on my life. And so it showed up as the root scene, the root issue in multiple rapid transformational therapy sessions of being like, yep. And when Kira got sick, then you said you cap everything. And so that mostly affected with, it was like, I couldn't be happier than my mom and my sister because my mom was so affected by my sister being sick. And so, yeah, so going and enjoying college, having a career that I liked, that I enjoy that isn't heavy feeling, but light feeling 
having a relationship that's fun and supportive and healthy and happy. Um, we're all things that were under a weight before I was doing the work. And mm-hmm. so once I, as I kept breaking through each layer of happiness and being able to say, no, my happiness outweighs your unhappiness and putting that emphasis on me and my part of my relationship with myself and pursuing the life that I wanted, the more that I felt comfortable being in my sovereign state of my energy, my energetic boundaries, my worth, my enoughness, I was able to move through and move through, move through at those different layers. Wow. So by the time she's saying, well, I don't have a good relationship, so you can't either. She had already done that to me time and time and time and time again. I remember the first time I told her I was in love with my college boyfriend. She just said, no, you're not. And she had told me at that point of my at one point in my life, like three different times, no, you're not in love. No, that's not how you feel. And I'm like, well, this is how I feel. Yeah. So I know that it the more I healed in myself in my first relationship where Mm -hmm. she said, no, you're not in love. That really rocked me. When she said, no, you're not going to be with this person. No, you can't be with this person. That really influenced me. And sure. had a huge damaging light on how I approached the rest of that relationship. Sure. By the time I was in my relationship with Brian and I was doing really, really deep core work, I was able to say, stand up for what was my truth in the situation and also was able to better recognize what that was yeah. and have that detachment from my mom, from my dad from their relationship to be able to say, I don't really care if you're happy or not. That's, that's your business. Mm. My business is being happy with myself and creating a good relationship. And I have a good relationship Mm -hmm. and being able to not have that be influenced or swayed by their projected emotions. I, yes, that's so powerful. And I think that that is a thing as women, especially we have such a hard time with because in doing this emotional work in breaking the type of connection we have with our father, you're literally saying I'm, I'm going off emotionally on my own to create the life Mm -hmm. and the relationships and the connections that fill me up and that are what I want to create in my life. And that is so against the patriarchal society we have been raised in for generations because women were always handed off from one man to the next. Yep. And moving from your father to your husband's home. Yep. Right. So it is a radical, deep, generational, emotional experience to say, I am no longer fulfilling this role that was given to me by my parents. And mm-hmm. I do not want to respond in this way to these types of romantic relationships I'm generating based on my conditioning. So this is where like you get to pull away and re-nurture yourself. Like there's Mm -hmm. that whole nature nurture aspect of like, yeah, we're absolutely born with unique, beautiful souls and personalities and like ways of being. And then we're raised and conditioned to show up in a certain way. And it's our own self-education to say like, yeah, this isn't the conditioning that serves me anymore. I'm changing. 
Mm -hmm. So a really big part of the shift that happened to me. So was one seeing those happy moments with my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, Two was doing the, like what the, what you were saying with like the nurturing, the inner child Mm -hmm. and those difficult conversations in the hypnotic subconscious level. Mm -hmm. So, which is one of my favorite like steps in the RTT process is um, we call it dialogue with the herder. And it gives you this opportunity to have either a one-sided conversation or a two-sided conversation, you know, with that person who hurt you in whatever way, shape and form that is for Mm. people who have been physically or sexually or abused. Oftentimes it's just one-sided and it's so Mm -hmm. empowering to be able to say, from that emotional level to share your emotional truth and feelings in a safe space. And this is when this really becomes energy work. And we can really tap mm-hmm. into that is because you're able to have these conversations, although it's physically by yourself or, you know, with me as a guide facilitator, yeah. right? You're really having those conversations still on that energetic plane. Mm -hmm. And it is influencing them as well as influencing that vibration because you're healing your own vibration. Mm -hmm. And so having those deep, impactful conversations of being able to say, you really hurt me when this happened, Mm -hmm. which a lot of us don't say to the face of our person um, who hurt us, right? To Mm -hmm. our, our fathers, to our, these people. Um, and in a way that feels still productive because mm-hmm. that, that can turn right there. My dad just gets into his anger and then it becomes not productive. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of magical moment in when working in the subconscious that you can tap into that collective consciousness, right? That mm-hmm. universal brain, that, that life force that we're all connected to and have a response that would truthfully be from their essence Mm. and, and be able to converse at that level, which is really healing for many people. And Mm -hmm. especially if that person has already passed, you know, uh, from this physical space, Mm -hmm. um, being able to still address that and it becomes really beautiful. And then there's another step where we're really becoming that loving parent to ourselves And I know that that was like you were saying earlier, Whitney, so empowering for me, because when you don't need that validation from your dad, when you don't need that worth given to you by anyone else, when you can Mm self-validate, self-fulfill, know that you're connected to a higher source and that you are also that higher source, right? Yeah. It becomes very empowering. And this is one of the major steps in, I think, in really our growing up process, much like in our terrible twos, when we're realizing for the first time that we're separate entities from our mother's body, because that's how old you are when you start to realize, oh my gosh, my body isn't connected to mom's Mm -hmm. body, Mm -hmm. right? I think when we also move into the phase where we realize, our worth, our enoughness, our lovability Mm -hmm. isn't dependent on anything else that we're our own sovereign beings in that way. It's like another huge step. And I think that's why we have 
all of our different life crises. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's challenging. You know, it's like saying it's an existential terrible twos. Yeah. It's an emotional terrible twos that, um, that you get to. That's why I call them growing pains because like mm-hmm. you felt that hurt. Like we all know what it feels like to have our heart broken for the first time, but we feel that kind of emotional inner pain so many times in our life. Like Mm -hmm. when you're grieving the loss of a loved one, when you're grieving part of yourself, you know, there's so many times this pops up and they really are emotional and spiritual growing pains. And Mm -hmm. it's like that dull ache that takes over your joints when you're a kid and it's okay to be there. Like that's part of the journey. Um, I'm looking back at Morgan's message one more time. And I think like that we can, and we can kind of pivot here because I know we're getting closer towards the end of the episode, but where do you go when you start to have these realizations? Like, how do you start doing the work? Part of her question was like, I still found myself in situations where it's scary how similar these men Mm -hmm. are to my dad. And I know it's not what I want, but it's where I feel most comfortable. And like Mm -hmm. for me, that initial, not what I want, but I feel comfortable leads me right to needs, wants, and desires. Yep. I was just going to say the same thing. The mm-hmm. reason you're comfortable there is because it's what you know. So if you know what you don't want, how can you position it in the positive for what you do want? So like mm-hmm. emotionally unavailable equals emotionally available equals emotionally healthy, knows how mm-hmm. to work on their shit, knows their own issues that they're moving through. Like how can you spin all of that from a positive to, or from a negative to a positive so that it can become a guiding light to look for instead of veer away from because when your whole system is I don't want that the universe doesn't hear I don't it just hears the the focus so you need to figure out the positive focus for those things Mm -hmm. and I think really emphasizing starting in the the general but also starting with yourself Mm -hmm. of how do you want to feel yeah period not in a relationship not with your dad not with your parents just how do you want to feel And the more you can feel into that, the more you'll be able to carry that feeling into those situations, right? And so feeling like I want to feel grounded. I want to feel connected. I want to feel loved. Mm -hmm. Write yourself those positive affirmations. I am lovable. I am enough. I am connected. I am grounded. Mm -hmm. I am balanced in my temperament. I, right. Not, I never get angry. Right. Because there is a difference. We're all going to feel those emotional scale things. But like for me, my dad and subsequently five of my boyfriends all had really hot tempers. Mm. And I, oh yeah, also did. Right. Mm -hmm. So here we go. So I want to feel balanced in my temperament, right? Mm -hmm. I am balanced in my temperament, right? When you make it that current tense affirmation, I am what I am what and feel guided in that. Give yourself those pep talks Mm -hmm. before you go have Mm -hmm. a conversation with, with dad, with your next date, whatever it is Mm -hmm. of building up the feelings that you want to carry forward and holding yourself too true to that. Yeah. Give yourself those outs. I'm going to take a bathroom break. I'm going to do this. When you take a breath, right? Breathing just, just time and time and time and time and time and time again, the inner voice, that inner guidance system. When we say 
what do we need to do? What will help us in these moments is breathe. Yes. Take those slower breaths. And then I have one more exercise to do. Yeah. So now if we're really focusing on those, the, those masculine um, yeah. relationships. So this, it's a simple exercise that you can, um, and I got it from the Discovering Your Soul Mission book, which I love by Linda mm. Brady, which has been like a Bible for me for my mm. spiritual journey quest, um, is to write down the five most important masculine relationships that you have. Mm. Um, it's, she'll say men, you know, the relationships you have with men, but you can take that as your, your dominant masculine, um, relationships, Mm -hmm. then write down all of their characteristics that you can think of. Don't view them as positive or negative yet. Just how do you view those people? Mm. What are they like? What, what aspects of them are you noticing? So just do that as like a free journaling, try to get, you know, as many words as you can get down and think about it for each of those people. So as many as you can for the men, but try to do five. And then all of those, each of those five men list their characteristics. What's interesting is that you'll see how many of those words are similar throughout the different people too, right? And those become those ear prick up moments. Mm-hmm. So now you can look and see what are their strengths that they have in common, mm-hmm. right? So you can start to pinpoint, oh, they're really gregarious, right? Okay. So maybe that's one gregarious, outgoing, gregarious. Wow. They're all really likable, right? Mm-hmm. In these kinds of ways, in this outgoing way. Mm-hmm. That could be then when you're looking at that and in a reflection, that may be a characteristic that you possess that mm-hmm. maybe you didn't realize that maybe you don't notice about yourself as much that mm-hmm. you, that you embody and yeah. seeing how are you embodying more of that um, energy in your being? Cause that's something that you're moving toward. You're moving toward being more gregarious, more, more outgoing, let's just say as an example, and then look at the weaknesses and you can view weaknesses, however you choose. So let's just say they're anger, right? And I'm saying anger in that totally off balance, um, unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. So now you're like, oh, he's angry. Oh, he's short tempered. Oh, he's this. And this can be either a repressed part of you. Yeah. Or a part of you from a previous lifetime, because let's remember our parental relationships, especially are in that primary soul contract level where we are using them for our primary life lessons. So our parents, Mm -hmm. our longtime spouse, our brothers and sisters, um, our siblings, they are in that top tier. That's your, you're learning so much from them. And so this is either how you were before and now you're seeing it from the other side something that you really need to work on so if it's Mm -hmm. anger for me that was one for me and I was like okay what do I feel angry about how where is that anger in my body how do I want to respond when I'm feeling angry instead and even in doing that has massively shifted me through Mm -hmm. feeling out of control in my anger when it would come up or just shutting it down 
um, because I didn't want to be like my dad. I didn't want to be like those boyfriends. So when they would snap, I would just be like, yep. Okay. Bye. And yeah. we're done. Yeah. And I would just close off. But what I wasn't doing was actually allowing myself to feel what I was angry about, which is also unhealthy. So, mm-hmm. you know, seeing how can you work on that in your life mm-hmm. and, you know, knowing, you know, that we're all here to learn lessons. It's all about growth, you know, and my dad and I are supposedly brothers in our most recent past life. I've had other people who, you know, so you can now see, okay, we're brothers. If our energetic bond is brothers, Mm -hmm. how does that shift how I'm actually viewing the issues that we're having competition, you know, that kind of where we are at against each other kind of way. I had another client whose um, father in this lifetime was her husband in her previous lifetime. Mm. And they had had a very bad ending. And so he was taking, he was in the role to take care of her in this lifetime because he didn't in the past lifetime. And they ended up almost living like husband and wife in the end of their lives, not oh, in a sexual way, yeah. but in a companion way. Yeah. And, but it was because they were learning then to take care of each other in a different way. Wow. And so I think when we zoom out sometimes on those immediate hurts and saying, what am I learning? Where am I growing in this? Mm-hmm. How do I want to be right? Because the trauma of our, of our past and our past lives isn't impeding us in moving forward it is what we're moving forward to I just had a a client message me she said experiencing trial childhood trauma at the hands of a parent is soul murder and I was like yes and no yeah right because it's also the opportunity for your growth Mm -hmm. right it isn't stopping you it is part of it and the, what I kind of countered to her was a message that said, as traumatized children, we always dreamed that someone would come and save us. We never dreamed that it would in fact be ourselves as adults. And I think that's really the message that you've Mm -hmm. been saying. And I've been saying is when we become less emotionally dependent on anyone else, right? Our parent figures, our relationships, when we can give more and more of that to ourselves, we become less vulnerable, malleable, Mm -hmm. discontent, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not giving away our power anymore. If you Mm -hmm. give someone the power to make you happy, you also give them the power to make you sad. Yes. And if you keep that power, which is why the word power and light and love are so important. If you can keep that within yourself, then you can create your reality. Yes. And that's what we're striving for. Oh my God. So much goodness here because it, at the end of the day, our relationships, these key relationships with parents and fathers and then romantic partners are so much the defining relationships in our lives. And when you actually start to feel the power and the validation of taking your power back and learning to validate yourself, it changes the entire 
way mm-hmm. you show up. And when you understand like leap and the net will appear, and that doesn't mean like God or a higher power or someone outside of you is creating the net. It's your, your own yes. net. Oh my God. Like I, people, people say things to me nowadays, like around anything around my relationship with Greg around my jobs, you know, what would happen if it was gone in my immediate answers? I'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Like if, if Greg came home from grocery shopping, which is where he is right now and walked in the door and was like, I don't want to be with you anymore. You need to pack up and move. Okay. Like there would be more conversations, but I know I would be okay. Like I love him very dearly. And I know that like whatever is unfolding is what's unfolding for us. And if that's where his soul is being led, that's where his soul is being led. And it doesn't mean it's permanent. And I don't know what the outcome is supposed to be, but I know that I can trust that I have a net beneath me always. And it is of my own making. And in that, I know, I know what you're saying about that. Isn't just allowing not good things to happen to you and have it be part of our past, mm-hmm. right? It is recognizing your truth in the moments as they come forward, recognizing those learning opportunities. Yep. And, and what you're saying is trusting that the more you learn into yourself, into your connection, the more you can trust the unfolding of things. Exactly. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And it is just about trusting that you are always fine and you are mm-hmm. always in a world of your creation and of your co-creation with the people you allow in it and with the universe and how you're choosing mm-hmm. to connect with it. Um, yeah. So much goodness here. Wonderful. Yay. Well, let us know if you have any questions or if this sparked anything or if it helped. Um, we seriously love answering questions and talking about things that you guys suggest, you ladies suggest. So please don't be strangers. Much love, everybody. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us on Instagram or online, you can find our details in the show notes. And remember, the mess mess is is the journey. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get this.